I'm going to speak this morning on, from a subject that very seldom I preach from. I used to preach from it lots more than what I do now. And, uh, but our scripture will be found in the 16th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel. And I will speak this morning with desperate sincerity because that I believe the words of Jesus Christ. What I will read this morning will be the words of our Savior, and they are true. What he says is so. Beginning with the 19th verse. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fled, fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died, was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may test, he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Our subject this morning is something worse than hell, something worse than hell. <clears throat> and I don't very often speak from the subject hell because that I personally uh, rather not. I don't often speak from the subject of hell because that I have observed that most often a, a positive approach as to what God wants to do for the individual and how that he wished to lift them and even now, wanting to come alongside uh, receives a greater response from people than a message on hell, which I would admit is negative. And uh, people, uh, especially in this day and time, uh, do not respond to a negative approach. There are some things, however, in the Word of God, however you characterize them, that need 
occasionally to be spoken in order that proper balance be given to our uh, concept. And uh, so we speak from these scriptures today. They are true. Jesus spoke them. He said it. And the Bible says God is love. Christ was God in the flesh. He was love. He demonstrated it by dying for us. If anyone in all the world had a right to say what he just said, and I read to you, he had a right. He demonstrated his words, uh, his love, not in vernacular, but also in his death on the cross. The greatest horror of hell is uh, not spiritual pain. It's not that. or It is not physical pain, rather, but it is spiritual pain. There is such a thing as spiritual pain, spiritual incarceration, spiritual punishment, and that is worse than physical punishment. Jude 6 speaks about the angels who uh, were reserved in chains of darkness, waiting the judgment of that great day. They kept not their first estate, but they were cast down. And uh, hell originally was created as a spirit prison, not a physical prison, but a place of uh, the spirit where spirits could be kept. Uh, there are certain uh, conditions that you can catch uh, particular gases and trap them. You can trap the proton, the neutron. You can hurl them against one another and split them. A gigantic uh, generator is about to be constructed somewhere in these United States that are many miles in its particular circumference. Uh, those things which are unseen to the human eye, not even seen by a microscope, are handled. There is somewhere in this universe a place where spirits are kept and are trapped, and they are, it is a place of uh, spiritual punishment. There is an actual world beyond death that is just as real as the one that we reside in and move in. It is an actual, actual world. It's one that uh, is absolute. Some time ago, I read of uh, a boy that went home from Bible school with uh, a friend of his. His uh, friend that he went home with happened to be the son of a great adventurer who had been many places in this earth and had done many things and had many experiences in life. And so uh, he went home with him for uh, a week. And so he sat enthralled as this particular man spoke of uh, different adventures that uh, had happened to him. And uh, he went on, and his young uh, host or, or visitor rather was interested and he responded in kind and he told him about various uh, happenings of his life but the man feared the Lord and knew the Lord and so as he finished uh, that evening he said but it will not be long now that I am about to uh, involve myself in the greatest adventure that I have ever experienced in my life or anyone else could experience. I am going to become tremendously involved in it. And his young friend thought, well, how can this be? Because the man is past the prime of life. Age has taken its toll on him. 
He seemed to sense the question that was in the young man's mind, and he gave an answer to it, and he said, I will come by these particular things and experience these things five minutes after I die. Five minutes after I die. This will be the payoff, my friend, when a person closes their eyes and they draw their last breath. All the ideologies, all of the theories, all the philosophies of life that a person has weighed out, trafficked in, will be proven to be so or not so when we come over on the other side. We will come to know whether the philosophy of life that we've lived by has been the right one or it hasn't been the right one. You run into many people who talk a lot, who have loud mouths, who are quite opinionated on uh, their particular beliefs. One day, my friend, the payoff is coming when all the facade of life will be done away with and we will be stripped down to bear truth and we will be uh, <clears throat> known even also as we are known. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says here, we see through a glass darkly but then face to face. Here we know in part, but then shall we know even also as we are known. The poet put it this way, loved ones will weep over my silent face, dear ones will clasp me in sad embrace, shadows from darkness will fill the place five minutes after I die. But the faces that sorrow I shall not see, and the voices that murmur will never reach me. Where, oh where, will my spirit be five minutes after I die? Five minutes after I die. Even now, there are people sitting in this congregation who are participating in your eternal experience. Because there is not that much difference between the life that I'm living now and the life that I will be living in some respects a thousand years from now. I have a personal identity now. I'll have one then. I will be able to speak then as I speak now. I will, be, I will know even as I am known. I will simply step over into another dimension. I will have capabilities I don't have now, but I will still be J.T. Pugh as long as there is a God in heaven. There never will be a time that I will be somebody else other than J.T. Pugh. I will be J.T. Pugh one million years from now. I am living now as J.T. Pugh. I will continue the particular slotting in that I have started. The direction that my face is set now, it will be set one million years from now. I will still be me, and I will, I cannot be other than that. I am preaching this morning to people even now that are experiencing some of the things that you are going to experience one million years from now. We would like to believe that we stepped across and then we were changed and all of our character was changed and our problems were done away with and hocus pocus, we were something different and altogether. It is not so. He that is filthy, the scripture says, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is ungodly, let him be ungodly still. 
If the tree fall toward the north, the wise man said, so let it lie. There is a certain finality that even now I have chosen. I will not change appreciably from what I am already. I am already experiencing some of the things that I will be experiencing a million years away. In Psalms 139, now David had a supposition. He said, if I make my bed in hell, and he was talking about this particular life that we are living in right now. It is possible for a person to so live and so make decisions now that they begin a hell that is unending that washes across the barrier of death and they simply continue to the same experiences that they had begun perhaps 20 years prior. And those particular uh, situations are continued right straight on into eternity. I do not doubt this morning that I shall preach this sermon to somebody that even now perhaps in some measure you've made your bed in hell. You've got a little hell to go to hell in. And uh, you're already slotted into uh, some particular way of life. And, uh, a little, uh, and you'll continue in that particular vein, in that rut of life. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'd like to mention something about it. In the year of 1989, it was a small little town of 3,000 people put together uh, farm folks out of the uh, surrounding uh, country and uh, originally founded by a handful of German people who came and settled there. Out uh, away from there were the plantations and uh, the large farms and many, many mules and horses and cattle, things of this nature. It was a sleepy, slow southern town. It was quite surprised one day when down the main dusty street there came a weary traveler astride a horse that looked like that it was about to drop dead in its tracks. Found his way to the one uh, hotel of any consequence and tied the, the beast at the hitching rack and wearily climbed down and went inside. He registered himself. He said, I have some money in my saddlebags. He had his saddlebags with him. And he said, I, the saddle is worth something. I don't know whether the horse is worth much or not. I have just about uh, killed him. But uh, he said, I'll pay you for this night's lodging. Whatever else I have, if you don't mind, take it. And he said, uh, I will be dead in the morning. Take me and bury me. If possible, he said, I notice a vacant lot beside the board uh, sidewalk. I would like to be placed there with the headboard facing the sidewalk. And on the headboard, I want you to put certain letters and bury me there, please. There is enough money in the saddlebags, enough money that you could get for the saddle and perhaps a little from the horse, and it would be taken care of. And the words that he wanted there on his headboard caused the clerk to ask the question, where did you come from? What are you doing? What's happened to you? And then he told the story that uh, he had turned his back upon God 
upon the prayers of uh, parents, and etc., and that he had decided not to live for God, and, uh, and uh, he had fallen into a miserable way of, uh, of life, frame of mind. And he said, put the words there. And he did. And he was buried there. And for years in that town, people walking along the sidewalk would stop and look at the faded uh, headboard and peculiar words that was inscribed there. Simple, yet understandable, and according to the Word of God, true. It simply said, you cannot run from God. You cannot run from God. There is a spiritual essence to us. Discounting physical pain that a person could suffer in the other world. You will still be you. And you will never escape from you. You will always be you. If I make my bed in hell, and you are the bed maker of your life, you are the person that makes your decisions. And those decisions reach beyond death and the last gasp and the last breath. And they will be a part of you, world without end. Whoever you are this morning, you will always be you. And you will not escape the consequence of the fact that you are the kind of person that you are. Yes, sir. There is something worse than hell. Yes, there is. We have dwelt upon the worm that dieth not and the fire that is not quenched. We have talked about uh, the raging flames of an unending burning place, and that's all there. Jesus said it, and I've got to believe that Jesus never lied, that what he says is true. If I can't believe that, I can believe nothing. So I must believe what Jesus said. Revelation, the 6th chapter, verses uh, 16, uh, tells about a time that will come when people will flee into mountainous areas and they will say rocks fall on us and hills cover us and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne people brought into a situation like that were not afraid of falling rocks people brought into a spiritual confrontation like that were not afraid of mountains caving in of landslides Physical pain did not cause them to be afraid. Death was something that was superseded by a more horrendous fact that in the spirit they were about to confront something that was worse than being crushed by stupendous weight of suffering physical pain. There is something worse than hell. There is something, my friend, that is final. There is something even now that I preach to somebody here that you are experiencing some of it if I make my bed in hell. You're the bed maker of your life. Worse than physical pain. Worse than physical pain of hell is the lash of memory and conscience that is a part of me. There are things that I wish I could forget. I severely wounded a person one time I did them wrong. I just really did. I was wrong. I did them wrong. And uh, I was 
so selfish and I was greedy and I was cruel. There was an opportunity and I stepped into it and uh, I transgressed against that, that individual. And I shall never, never, never forget it. When the chips were down and that individual saw what the score was, I shall never forget the look on their face of disbelief, uh, uh, surprise, and then a terrible loss, uh, that loss of confidence. And then later on, remorse swept over me and guilt took hold of me. My conscience bared its fangs in my soul. I couldn't sleep with myself. I couldn't face myself. I went to find that individual to make it right. These were younger times when there was a lot of movement in people's lives of the same age of mine, and that individual was gone. I inquired to find them. I never found them. I've asked about them. I don't know where they went. I don't know what happened to them. But I have even said to God, Lord, if I ever have a chance, I'll crawl on my knees to them. I'll get down and I will piteously ask, oh, I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I, I want you to forgive me. I was wrong and I know that I am and I want you to forgive me. In the dark nights for a long time, memory would fish that thing up out of a troubled sea, bringing it up in the nets of my own natural recollection. And I would see that thing quivering and all wet with time, and I would like to throw it back into some bottomless pit. Don't drag it back out again. But that wasn't the story, the whole story. Because immediately when it surfaced, when it surfaced, conscience says, I'm going to judge it. Put it in my scales and we'll go over the whole thing again. I would inwardly cringe beneath the sheets and inside my spirit would say, let it alone, conscience. What do you want to put it in your scales for? You've judged the thing a thousand times and the verdict is always the same. Memory, why did you bring it back to the bar again? Why hold court on it all over? Memory, why can't you leave it alone? And conscience will say, bring it here. Weigh it again. Judge it. And the verdict would come ringing down. Guilty, guilty, guilty guilty that spiritual side of you this morning that will never die that real you that looks out through your eyes and listens through your ears friend is going to be you world without end and what kind of a person are you anyway because you are the person that you will always live with the bed maker of eternity the man, the woman, the person that even now has slotted yourself in to attract world without end. Perhaps you read about the overturned drilling rig not long ago. They wondered why it went down. 
It went down so quickly. It went down with so many. And then it was thought that there are people, of course, in there trapped in their pockets of air. And as soon as possible, divers were sent down. And they were not there to bring out the dead, but they were there to search perhaps for some living, a pocket of air, a place maybe where somebody could be trapped. But the wreckage they had to work their way through, the water was pretty well settled by that time and they could see well enough. And all of the tangled mass of the inside and being in there was dangerous, so dangerous. And then besides that, the, the dead was there. The floating bodies that came and went before them, shoving them out of the way and yet creating a current and a wake where it seemed that they followed them through different departures and, and came and brushed against them again and gathered around them with floating limbs and sightless eyes and gaping mouths. And there they were. And so it goes, friend, with that undying quality that is you, that has a memory that will never change from what you are now. I am not talking about the rocks of black damnation this morning from whence there spring no waters of hope. I am not talking about the raging inferno world without end. I am talking today about that person that sits between your elbows and the kind of a person that you really are that's going to be you, world without end, about that thing that's worse than hell itself, that person that uh, you live with, the conscience, the memory, and the things never made right. So the poet put it this way, I sat alone with my conscience, in that place where time had ceased. And I discoursed of my former living in the land where the years increased. And I felt that I would have to answer those questions that it put to me and face those questions and answers in that dim eternity. Sitting along with my conscience, what a horrible thing to face alone, alone with my conscience in a strange and lonely place. The floating things of a past life, the corpse of murderous things of past experiences, the choices that were so horrendous and selfish, the things that float and nudge, the things that come that I can never be rid of because they are a product of my own choices, my own life, and the way I have lived, and so on. There are some things worse than hell. There are some things worse than hell. Discount the fire. Discount the prison house of the damned. Discount the place where the religious people come and sing mournfully the courses of the damned world without end. Discount all of that, Fred, the things that are usually referred to as hell. 
But think of it merely as what Jesus said. It's a place of outer darkness where a person can be flung beyond the confines of relationships where no human hand is extended to communicate and you are left alone with yourself. You're alone with yourself with the person that you are and with the kind of life that you have chosen in the realm of time and so on and you're left with that with a corpse of different actions and so on that come floating through the murk of memory. Judas, it was said, went out and it was night. I know that John was talking about the night that comes when the sun goes down. But there are so many people go out and it's night. It's that night that finally comes down over a soul that knowingly finally rejects God. And <clears throat> finality becomes their lot. And they never will change from what they are now. They're going to be what they are now. And they will, can't escape that. They can't get away from it. They'll be that. In Arlington, Texas, there is a store, and when they reported it in the newspaper, uh, and I read it in the Dallas Morning News uh, four months ago, they, for the sake of the store itself, didn't give the name of it. But uh, the people that work there know about it some folks that trade there know about it and it is a fashionable store in Arlington Texas it has a frequent visitor that comes in and sometimes spends quite a while among the counters looking and watching and observing and who never says anything and then poof she's gone she is a woman in of older years she never goes out the front door. She doesn't go out the back door. She appears and she disappears. And so she was so frequent and she frightened the clerks and all of this until they got proper people to come to determine what was going on. Of course, it was determined that she was a ghost. And uh, then they dug into the history of where that store was. And we could go into some quite detail to know what to, who this woman was and they discovered who she was and what her name was and why and all of these things and I would like to have time to spend some time on that this morning but I only mentioned that to say this that there is another world once you draw your last breath and once you step across the line you don't cease to exist of course that wasn't a real individual and it wasn't that person's spirit that came back and I'd like to tell you about that too. But nevertheless, we make impacts upon this life. Yes, we do. And while the way we live is extremely important, it is absolutely important. It's not a joke. It's not a picnic. It's not the loud laugh of a vacant mind. It is life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returnest was not spoken of this soul. We are and we shall never, never cease to be. Worse than the physical pain of hell is the constant eternal sense of loss that a person experiences who is not saved. 
Number one, they lose a future because they have no future. And everybody wants a future. That is one in the loneliness of old age is when there's no options no more. And there is no creating, nowhere to go. It's all used up. Years are used up. Time. Um, well, there are no dead ends, but there is always a tomorrow. And there is an eternity that's filled with great transmen, trans, uh, transmendous things. And, and, uh, and, 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 and so we have that to look forward to. But for a person that misses heaven, that ends up in the, in the bottomless pit, friends, you come to the cul-de-sac of the ages. Here the evil streets of the world converge. And here, friend, you come to the dead end of life. The blank wall of monotony. You'll never go nowhere from here. This is it. This is finality. And this is everything. Yes, sir. This is the end of it all. And uh, your future is gone. No future. And then there's a loss of hope. He said, Father, if you would dip, send Lazarus, and he'd dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I wouldn't give him crumbs, but if he would give me water, I would be so pleased. And then Abraham says, not so, I can't. There's a great guff, and the guff is thick. Nobody passes from here or there or here or there. And uh, it's that way. Between me and between you, there is a great gulf, and that gulf is fixed. There's no communication, no traffic, uh, no transition between these two states. They're there. This is what Jesus said. He said it. There was a man uh, about... 13 years ago, one of the most courageous men that I read about. I admired him so much. He, he got together material. He was a writer. He wrote more than one bestseller, and his books were good because they were, they were factual. They were built on history. And uh, he wrote about a particular uh, situation of the United States paratroopers dumped into the marshy land of the Netherlands. They went down in the canals and into the large flooded fields. They went down under heavy packs and equipment, and the logistics of the whole thing was wrong. They stretched the points in military planning. It was too much. They expected something from these men that they could not produce. And so this Arthur, he compiled information on that particular assault and that paratroop uh, uh, endeavor. And he put it together in a book. He, it was correct. He was fighting against cancer himself during this time, and he did not think uh, maybe he would die before he finished the book but struggling against pain and all that people could do to help him, he finally managed to finish that thing. And it was so correct, and it was such a document on that part of the World War II that he was notorious. In a wheelchair, he was honored because of that book and died a few days later. 
The name of the book, A Bridge Too Far. A point that was stretched beyond reality. They should never have been asked to jump. Not under those conditions. 5,000 of them. But it was a bridge too far. There was no bridge that this fellow ever built between himself and, uh, and between Lazarus. Lazarus was there. He could have known him. And admittedly, there was such a gap. It would have taken some doing to put it together because he rode the chariot and the beggar had nothing to ride. And there was such a difference between the two men and he never made the bridge. He never built the bridge between himself and his brothers and didn't talk to them about their soul. He had nothing to say to them about eternity. That bridge was never made and there was no bridge that was ever built between himself and to God until finally it was fixed and God Almighty said, it's a bridge too far. There is a gulf and it will not be spanned. The relations that you did not build there will never be built here. No, you just simply continued being Dives, the rich man. And you continued that, and now it's, it's too far. There, the gulf is great, and it is unbridgeable. Oh, the unbuilded bridges of the bridges that ought to be built that are never built. Things that should be put together that are not being put together. Something worse than hell. Forget about the fire. Know that there are no springs that come from the valleys of dark despair. Know this, friend, that there is an incarceration of damned souls and not one ever serves out his turn. Know that. But there is something worse than hell. I would like today somehow or other this old preacher that's preaching to you with as much earnestness and sincerity as I ever preached when I was on the evangelistic field as a young man, feeling the drive of the profundities of eternity, knowing that everybody that I preach to this morning is soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. There's something worse than hell. We want to put it in a place, in that place far removed from here, in time and actuality. Oh, no. It's right here. You are experiencing some of the emotions that you'll be experiencing a million years from now. Now. I'm told that you can step across Grand Canyon at a particular point. It's not far. It's just a line in the dirt. But it's the beginning of something awesome. Later on, when you see it at its widest place, it's a bridge too far. 
It's grown. Now it's too late. You'll not step across it now. Not now. Hebrews 11 spoke of a fellow that did build bridges when he could build bridges. And he says, By faith, when Moses was come of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, esteeming the reproach suffered with the children of God greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And uh, he, he did not fear the wrath of the king. There was a tremendous gap between him and his relatives. They were slaves. He had one of the finest educations that anybody could have in his day. Oh, there was such a difference here. Look at his clothes. Look at the charity rides in. And he went out to see how his fellow men were doing. And he saw them beaten. And he saw them working. And he said, these are my relatives. They came from Abraham's loin just like I did. And my mother told me that I was not an Egyptian, that she saw that I was a proper child. i got to do something about this. But what can I do? I have a tremendous education. I, I have, I'm on my way. I, I have a great future. I have all of that. But there was something stirred inside of that fellow. And he said, I'm going to build a bridge. I'm going to build it while I can. I'm going to do it. I'm going to step across. I'm going to change while I can change. Because every day that I live, it becomes less likely that I'll be able to step across and come where they are and place myself among the people where I rightly belong. Praise God. There are some relations that will never be built. They ought to be built, but some of them never will be built. Sister Pugh and myself, witness one, couple in Bible school, everybody seemed like, felt like, they were meant for one another. It just seemed natural that they should be together. It seemed that it ought, they ought to marry, and it was just assumed they would. And they believed that they would. He did, she did. Both of them had their problems. And both of them were unwilling to change. And change is the secret of marriage. Doesn't matter how good you are, my friend, or my lady, when you get married, you've got to change. It doesn't matter how fine you are, don't ever marry if you're not planning on changing. Because you've got to change. Somebody else comes into your life. They didn't change. Especially he didn't. He was irresponsible. He wanted it his way. He broke her heart, no telling how many times. But after a while, when he was on his way into the Navy, World War II, he says, I can't go away without her being my wife. I, I must marry her. And then there we, we went through the summer days, a few of them, of him borrowing cars and whatnot to go back to that house again and again 
getting up on his knees, saying, please, please. But it was a bridge too far. It was something that was fixed. It was something that would never be taken care of. There are some things that are worse than hell. I wish today I had the words, I had the anointing, that somehow or another I could preach to that quality that is inside of you. I reach for that person that has been so selfish in your life that you have let the church of the living God go by simply because you wanted to have your way and live it the way you wanted to. And that's the kind of person you're going to live with. World without end. There comes that final loss of relationships. Jude says they're like wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. There is no ups and no downs, no rights and no lefts, no point of reference. You got what you wanted. You got it all to yourself. There you are with you, just you. <laughs> just you, right? There you are, just you. You're going to be you. World without it. World without it. Maybe you read in the paper some time ago of a man who had been insane seven years. He just a curtain came down across it, shut out reality. They could see that he was frightened, extremely scared. He, he was pensive, he was uneasy. He couldn't talk. Ever, all abilities was gone, he could eat, he could, was somebody leading him to steering him around, he functioned. But he was frightened and horrified and he slept only in times of sedation. He was just so scared. One day, sitting in the living room with his family, all at once, he bounded out of the chair and screamed. And weeping, he rushed about the room, touching his people, snatching them up and crushing them to himself and saying, I'm out, I'm out, I'm back. I'm out! And his mind come back. He had been in hell. Oh, he wasn't burning. But the imagery, the shut off from his companions, the fantasies, the hallucinations, all of the weirdness, all of this, very much alive unable to escape it, but there he was. I would repeat to you today, my friend, whatever your name is, that's what you will be always. I hope you're a nice person because you're the fellow that you're going to live with and all the things that come to you if I make my bed in hell. I'm preaching to the bed makers of eternity this morning. 
who even now are making decisions that are going to be your best partner. We're all about you. Yeah. Darby's hope was in people relationships, and he didn't care about them, and he never made them. I don't care to meet the man. Don't give him anything. You'll encourage him to come back. And, uh, but that fellow was a path just outside the gate. If he had come and been kind to him, it would have helped him be better. He would have gotten spiritual remuneration. The path would have broadened somewhat, and he would have found it easier to have taken some more steps. He would have found himself going through gates and progressing and he would have had turned aside direction and he would have gone in another direction. His hope was in a relationship, but he never built that bridge. He didn't care. He just never tried. Praise God. Somehow and other deep inside of myself today, I know I preach to people that the Spirit of God has dealt long with. He has pointed out those discrepancies in your life. He has talked to you about the things that you need to improve and the changes in disposition. And so, I hope you're a nice guy. I hope you're a real good woman. Rattling along through the Tennessee hills on an old narrow-gauge railroad better than 30 years ago. Brother Greer said, I preached a sermon last Sunday night that said the path to the heart of God. And he didn't say anymore. And I pondered that in my mind. The path to the heart of God. What would that be? He knew I would ask him, and I did. And he said, it's simple. The path to the heart of God is the path that goes through the heart of another person. And said, that's the way that you find your way to God, that you do it by the help of somebody, and, uh, and they lead you, and they are your example. That's the path to the heart of God. Dives never bothered to take that path. Never did. He never built the bridge. And finally, it was too far. And I close here this morning in saying this, that worse than the fires of hell is the unending sense of absolute failure. Not one positive note is there. Everything says failure, 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 failure. Depression. I can remember plowing up cotton when I was very young and on the farm. I was only 13 years old when I turned that cotton under. But even as a boy, I didn't feel good about it. I felt it was wrong. They took and burned wheat fields 
out in these countries. Great billowing fire swept across these wheat fields and burned that food up. They dug out great trenches and ran cattle into it and bam, 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 they shot tons and tons and tons of prime beef and they killed it. And the conscience of America deep down said, that's not right. God gives food. That's life. It's not right to destroy food. And it wasn't. To waste things like that. But friend, to waste people, to waste a golden opportunity where love could be created, where a person could be made better, where a soul could be saved, that's horrible beyond words. Failure. The failure of Dives was his failure with people. And the horrors of hell had to do with his failures with people. And that was what made the place what it was. Moses and Paul saw something that was worse than hell. Moses had spent 40 days with God and he looked across into eternity and caught a glimpse of principles and things that I've never seen. Paul was caught up into the third heaven and he saw and heard things that, was un, that it, it was not lawful to talk about. And he saw things that I've never seen. Only those two men and only those two ever got to the place that they said, I'd be willing to go to hell for these people. Moses said it. He said, take my name out of your book, but don't destroy these people. Paul said it. He said, I could wish myself a curse from God for the sake of my people, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I could never say that. I've never said that. But they saw something that was worse than hell. They saw something that was worse than hell. I preach with desperate sincerity here today. While you can build that bridge, you'd better build that bridge. That's right. I think one of the horrors of that place is the knowledge that when you go to hell, you don't go alone. That you do influence people. And I, that's horrible. I made a decision one time in life that put my wife and myself under tremendous strain. It had nothing to do with the gospel. We have never thought of anything we've ever done connected with the gospel as a strain. It was just an opportunity to serve and so on. But this was something altogether different. And when my wife would shake in bed with a chill because of stress and nervous rigors, and when she would break out with rash because of the stress that I had put her under, of course I was under it too, but then I'd see my dear wife, and I, I felt so horrible about that, and to know that it was my decision that brought her to that place I felt horrible about it, and I do to this day. 
And every once in a while when I think about it, I tell my wife, I don't think I'll ever forgive myself for subjecting you to that kind of trauma. I feel so bad about it. But if I was a party in leading my wife to hell, and if I watched her wallow in that fire and sink in the troughs of unending waves, if I saw her grief-stricken face and her long hair sweeping back in, in the flowing fire, if I saw the reach of her hands toward me and I could do nothing to help her, and when I would hear her voice that I know so well scream in the fire, oh, how horrible I would be. There is something worse than hell. It has to do in the heart of human relationships. And that's the reason why that this church here, when we talk about trying to get somebody to come to church, get somebody saved, somebody give their heart to God, it's not just a church function, it has eternal consequence, friends. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So he pled for five brothers. He knew what was going on on earth, and the people in hell today know what's going on on earth. And maybe right now there's somebody in hell praying for somebody sitting on these pews right now. And, but he didn't get his brother saved. It was a bridge too far. And then he saw them one by one as those fellows aged and died. And one by one, they came to where he was. And then there came that time that he met them. And they came face to face. What did he say? What could he say to them? The stalker in L.A. that was responsible for the death of 14 women Unless that man gets right with God, he'll go to hell. And there are a lot of them down there like that. Yeah, they are. But oh, to meet there, somebody not like the stalker, but to meet there, your friend, that, that's a good person, you know he is. Look at him and say, oh, so sorry. You came here, not you. There's somebody that deserves it, but you, you're here. And there are some things that's worse than hell. To live with that. I stood before the little congregation that Sister Pew and myself raised up in Westlake, Louisiana. A preacher, he had been preaching for a good while. He hadn't had the Holy Ghost very long, hadn't been baptized in water in Jesus' name very long. But he waked up to the fact that what he had been preaching for years was absolutely not right. And he came out of the pulpit, and he came down and stood before the people, and he said, when I try to sleep at night, 
He said, I see the faces of young people trooping down the aisles toward me. They have come with tears upon their cheek because of sermons that I preached. And they have come to me and they want to be saved. And said, I, I didn't know what to tell them. I told them the best that I could. And he said, now, all of those people, he said, I must dedicate and commit the rest of my life of finding the ones that I can find of facing them out and say, listen, I told you wrong. I've got to set that straight. I've got to do that. Well, there was a man dying. <clears throat> he had been a wicked man. <clears throat> now he saw the the life that he'd lived had been so horribly wrong. They were trying to make him comfortable, and he told them how that he wanted the funeral. And they took good note of it. And they said, is there anything you want? Can we get you something? And he said, oh, if you could go and gather up all of my influence, and if you could take and put it in the casket, with me when you put the lid down so that it be buried with me I would be so happy that's a fruitless wish because it will spread out like a ripple on a still pond years after he is in the grave it will go and the verdict will be guilty 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 another generation guilty guilty Guilty! And to face them. I have not said much about the physical pain of hell, but I have said a lot about you and the kind of a person that you are. Your influence. I sent somehow another here this morning a an awe and a fear of a great God. I feel that I am in the presence of it. And it's not an item of space, but that guff that I'm talking about is in the souls of people. Parents long that somehow another a bridge could be built. If we could just sit down and talk with my children. Somehow or another, it could be fixed. Oh, if we could build a bridge. There are children that wish, I wish I could talk to my mother and my daddy. I wish somehow or another it was with us like it is with so-and-so. And I wish it were. But who can build that bridge? There are spouses, and I have seen them in years of ministry that have fallen upon their knees before their other spouse and said, let's fix it. Let's put it together. Let's do that. And then lots of times those bridges are never built. And then I would certainly close here with the fact that God wants to build some bridges too. He said, come, let's reason together. 
Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool. He said, he that comes to me, I know why it's kept out. I'll listen to you. <coughs> we'll, we'll put it together. Church, I'm finished this morning. I have preached under heavy anointing right out of my heart. I have preached to somebody here this morning. Church, could you come alongside now? Praise God. Could you put your hands up, church? Could you pray that God's will be done in every life in this building, that not a one will leave here this morning without adjustment? Praise God. Let's pray, church. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed Jesus, my Lord and my God, my Savior and my friend.